Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews with your host, Aaron Martell. Hello there, I'm Aaron Martell, and welcome to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, a podcast where I talk about and review a rock album of my choice. This episode, we have someone sitting in the co-pilot's chair, Mr. Jonathan Howard. Jonathan, how's it going, and welcome to the R4 Podcast. It's going well. I'm glad to be here, Aaron. Uh, appreciate you having me. Uh, I really enjoy your show, and I've uh, been a big fan. There's not many shows like yours, so uh, I really appreciate you doing it. All right, thank you. Thanks a lot. So, as the guest co-pilot, Jonathan got to pick the album we're going to talk about, and he selected Blind Melons' self-titled 1992 debut album. Jonathan, go ahead. Talk about how you discovered Blind Melon in their first album. Yeah, so um, when I was growing up, probably about 13, I had a uh, babysitter who was a huge MTV and TRL fanatic, and basically... uh, I saw the No Rain video on um, MTV2 music videos. I don't know if you remember that channel. Oh, yeah. When MTV actually played videos. <laughs> there was a time, right? <laughs> there was. <laughs> and um, I saw that, and I, I, I love the song, so I checked out the album and listened through it. And it's one of those albums that I just almost about every song on the album, personally, I think is very great, a very well-put album. It's it's probably one of my top fifty albums of all time. Their their later albums are a little bit um, just because of the internal problems the band was having. Um, we're not as you know well put together, but they're good albums. They're just not like this album. I, this is like to me the uh, dark side of the moon for this band. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Like a, a high point for them. It's one of those albums that will always sell. You know, it it'll always be. Um, you know, in the forefront. But at the same time, I I know I mentioned to you this before, but um, I really think a lot of the sales and initial uh, sales of this album were due to the, you know, major single of No Rain. And a lot of people didn't really dive into the full album. And so I think it's underappreciated in a sense. But um, yeah, I'm certainly one of those people. I remember having a curiosity about Blind Melon before I ever heard a note of their music. Uh, due to the fact that the singer Shannon Hoon, he sang backup vocals on a couple of Guns N' Roses tracks, and he prominently appeared in the it was Don't Cry video, right? Guns N' Roses video, I think it was Don't Cry, and he was singing right with Axl Rose right on the video. Then when I heard the single No Rain, I didn't think it was very good. It didn't really do much for me, but MTV pushed that video hard, so they made sure I was going to hear that song and see the video about 18,000 times. <laughs> This band quickly faded from my interest after that brief cycle because of No Rain kind of turned me off, and they were never able to grab me at the time. So I never owned this record, and I bought it specifically to do this podcast. So this was all new to me going in, but I gave this enough listens, so I think I can definitely give it an honest review. And, uh, you know, some further background about the Axl Rose and uh, Shannon Hoon dynamic. You were mentioning about the uh, uh, Shannon Hoon being with Axl on the uh, some of the backing tracks and um, in the Don't Cry video. And he was on, uh, I don't know how many exactly, because he wasn't credited for the backing vocals for most of the tracks. He might have been credited for the Don't Cry video, but I mean, the song and video. But as far as the other tracks, 
I think he did it uncredited wise. But from my research and what I found is that Axel and uh, Shannon Hoon are both from Lafayette, Indiana. And they both went to the same school. I don't know if they're in the same, you know, grade or anything, but uh, I think he was his sister's boyfriend at one time. Axel was Shannon Hoon's sister's boyfriend, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yep. Basically when he when they what happened as far as like with him, you know, a lot of you know how a lot of bands say, Oh yeah, we left with left with no money in our pocket, went all the way and just winged it, you know. And when they say that, like, to me, I feel like that's kind of a, yeah, they did, but they had a little bit of money to get there and back. But Shannon, when he got 21, he was already had some problems as far as, like, uh, with drug abuse and everything. And he, he, he told himself that if he didn't leave here, it was only going to get worse. And so basically at 21, he really did do the whole no money in the pocket, get a bus ticket. That's all he had money-wise. Got there. I think he lived kind of like aimlessly around once he got to L.A. And he, you know, connected with Axl Rose. You know, that's how he got into that. And also, I have a feeling, there's not like a lot of information, but I feel like Axl also had a hand in um, getting him, maybe not the record deal, but as far as like, you know, I'm sure he helped out a bit because... Uh, in fact, the manager of Blind Melon is the same manager of Guns N' Roses. All right. So, yeah, so he probably had a hand at least in getting him the management. And I imagine through that, I, I, I'll bet anything that he helped get him the record deal. I'll bet anything. You know, it's it's strange because when they, one of the things they mention is, and it really doesn't mention anything about the Axel Shannon Hoon dynamic, but, you know, like they got a record deal like off a four track EP. Like they called him and said, hey, we want you. And Shannon was like, he said, I don't know why you want to sign us. We only got four songs. They hadn't written a whole lot yet, right? Yeah, it was just a four-track EP. It's, it's kind of hard to find, actually. And um, I, they have re-released it in other places. And they made another EP. And eventually, the record label uh, sent Shannon and the band to Durham, North Carolina. They gave him like, I think six to eight months to stay in this house and just record songs, get songs going for the new album since they didn't have a lot of songs, you know? Right. I mean, right. I, from what I, something else I read, I mean, they were only together like two weeks when they put that four track EP. And then the next week it was like call. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. That's not bad. Nah. <laughs> okay. It's time to throw out some basic facts about this record ripped straight from blind melons, Wikipedia page. Blind Melon is the eponymous debut studio album by American rock band Blind Melon, released on September 22, 1992, through Capitol Records. It was produced by Rick Parashar, I hope I pronounced that correctly, and Blind Melon, and was recorded from February to June 1992 at London Bridge Studio, Seattle, Washington. It reached number three on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart and is certified four times platinum by the RIAA. Now I'll give you the band's lineup card. We have Shannon Hoon. I still find that funny. My sister's name is Shannon. On vocals and acoustic guitar. Brad Smith on bass guitar, flute, backing vocals. Rogers Stevens on lead guitar. Christopher Thorne on rhythm guitar and mandolin. And Glenn Graham on drums and percussion. 
All songs on this record were written by Blind Melon. All right, Jonathan, let's get into a track-by-track analysis of this album. We lead things off with Soak the Sin. Jonathan, what do you think about this song? I think this is a, a really good uh, opener. It's something I'll, I'll mention a lot about these songs is something that I think uh, that kind of sets them apart. Or it, it may just, I, and I may be completely off base here, but a lot of their songs have multiple different interludes in between verses and choruses that are not the same consistent interlude. And I think really it. It makes a lot of these songs very dynamic, and and because a lot of them are the way they are, as far as like the pace is a little bit slow, but then it, it kind of goes to that interlude that's kind of fast, and it goes back and forth like that for a lot of these. But I think that like it's really unique for this band the way they use like interludes in their songs, and uh, this is a perfect example of that. Like, I mean, some of their interludes could be songs themselves. And um, the way it connects it and makes it flow together, uh, I haven't really, uh, there's not a lot of bands I can like structurally say as far as songs that has kind of used the interlude that way. I mean, I'm sure there is, but, you know, like most of the songs with like maybe a few exceptions have that kind of dynamic with those interludes. And, And this is one of those examples is in this song. All right. Before listening to this album, the only reference point I had for Blind Melon was No Rain. And this has a much different vibe, though. Sonically, it's got that alternative rock thing going for it that became big in the 90s. It's got a touch of the Seattle, especially Pearl Jam. I'm getting a big Pearl Jam feel, especially in the verses, which I suppose makes a little sense since producer Rick Parashar also produced Pearl Jam's 10. It does change gears in the choruses. Like you said, it slows down and it gets a little bit more trippy and psychedelic and it's done very well. There's some very nice guitar interplay, which I dig the shit out of. I love guitar interplay. And the brief guitar solo is drenched in the wah pedal. Shannon Hoon's vocals are a little rougher and harsher than what you hear in No Rain, and I like them. The lyrics are a little bit obscure, but what I'm picking up is the narrator leaving home and striking out on his own. He wants to make his own life and make a new start. There's a baptism theme with jumping into the river and letting the water soak the sin from his souls. It's a good opening track and I dig it. The next track is Tones of Home. Jonathan, what are your thoughts on this one? This is one of uh, my favorite tracks on the album. I love the riff and the interplay between the two guitars. One of the things that I think I noted uh, when I was doing my research is 
each guitarist likes to do the rhythm section one octave above and then also kind of overlay it with a, a distortion version of that same interplay between the octaves and the chords. And I think it gives it a really good dynamic. And the riff is just super catchy and it, it does have that like 90s grunge feel to it. I, I honestly think this really, if you know, I like the opening track as the opening track. I know I mentioned that before, but I wish this would have been the opening track. And um, this was their first single. It didn't chart at all. In fact, their first two singles didn't chart. And the record label was thinking about even um, shelving the album because it had not done as well with the two singles. But the manager convinced them of one more single. And basically during this time, like when they had the opportunity, they got one more single to go. They didn't know which one to choose, but every time they were playing during the course of these tours, every time No Rain came up, the crowd went wild. They knew all the words, and so you know they released that. But what's interesting about the Tones of Home song, Home song, is that they re-released this song after No Rain, and it went to number ten. Yeah, this one doesn't grab me quite as much as the first track. I'm a little bit opposite of you. To me, this does sound like so many of the 90s alternative rock groups that were around, though the guitar interplay is still there. That does Blind Melon is distinctive for the guitar interplay, and their influences are more of the classic rock-type guitars that I, that I really like. But it just makes me think of your crash test dummies type shit that isn't bad, but it doesn't yank my crank either. I will say it sounds great. Every instrument is clear and distinct, and maybe it's too pristine. I don't, I don't know. The lyrics are written by three of the band members describing how their experiences of moving to Los Angeles affected them and their perceptions of the place. I mean, there's some cynicism in the lyrics. You know, the land of milk and honey is actually all hate and money, those kind of words. They're decent lyrics, but it doesn't grab me like the first track does, I think, sonically. Moving on, we get I Wonder. Jonathan, lay it on me about this one. This is one of those tracks that the way the tension builds up, I feel like it's it, it really gives this ambiance to it. And I think this particular track, the opening of the song is, you know, it, I mean, structurally, I think it would be considered an intro. But this is also where I, what I was mentioning about the interlude. The song, the, the intro actually sounds like an interlude because it pretty much slows down and then it goes into like what you consider the foundation of the song. Yeah, they do this a lot, too, like you kind of brought up earlier it's also one that uh they released a music video for which i was kind of curious about that because i don't know i guess i wouldn't consider this like a single but they did release this as a single and yeah it didn't chart though did it no it didn't it's not sure yeah i couldn't find a listing for it yeah to me this tune makes me think of pearl jam light it's got a middle-of-the-road blandness to the music that certainly would appeal to the 90s Goo Goo Dolls alt crowd. It starts with that acoustic intro section, and then when the music really kicks in, there's some cool riffs that I really dig. But I just want more. There's nothing wrong musically, but I just want them to rock it up a little harder. 
Again, there's some underlying psychedelic undertones, especially in the vocals. To me, this one, Shannon sounds a lot like Eddie Vedder in the verses, just not as good. (laughs) The lyrics seem to be about a guy in an institution where he's being monitored and treated, maybe even a rehab center, and he just wants to be left alone. Leave me alone. And that's what I'm pulling from it. Now it's on to Paper Scratcher. Jonathan, how about this one? Paper Scratcher, I really like this song. And, and live, when they perform this song, it really does very well uh, as far as, like, especially with the guitar work here on this Have album. you ever seen this band live? Uh, I haven't seen them live, no. But, I mean, I've seen, I've seen concert footage and stuff. They were short-lived band, you know, within two yeah, years. Yeah, they sure were. Uh, so, like, the footage they have isn't the, the greatest, but uh, whenever I see this song, whenever they perform it, Shannon Hood just tears it up and i really like the way he uh sings this particular song especially in the the verse it's just very catchy to me like how he plays off of the guitar work with the song uh it's almost like he's complimenting it just exactly with the guitar work and the guitar work has this that credible uh to me the riff there and that's why I think one of his strongest points as far as Shannon Hoon, the way he sees when he hears the song instrumentally and how he puts his lyrics to the song. And uh, it's just not typically what someone who would look at this instrumental of a song would do with the lyrics. And, and I think this is one of uh, the highlights of the album. Yeah, this is more like it. I seem to like it when Blind Melon rocks a little bit harder as opposed to that halfway shit. This one to me has an almost Rolling Stones kind of feel to the music with the sweet guitar interplay, or maybe Third Eye Blind, which this band does really well when it wants to, including some slide guitar from Christopher Thorne in the left channel. The lyrics seem to be about a homeless person, and the narrator compares his own life to the homeless guys, and they're not that different, at least in the way that normal people perceive them. This is the type of song from this band I can definitely get behind. So let's continue with Dear Old Dad. Jonathan, what do you think of Dear Old Dad? This song, I really connect with the chorus on this song. I mean, the whole, said, God, you got to help me a little bit. I really like that. That's very, I, I really, it's really catchy to me. And the way they do that chorus and the drum work on that is, uh, I really like this song. Um, I think the drum work on most of this album is really good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's, a, he's an excellent drummer. I mean, he really accents 
the the songs in a way that it because if it was heavier you know the drum work it would just completely kill a lot of these songs you have yeah that's a good way to put it he has to be very light around it it, it reminds me a little bit of uh the doors drummer the way uh you know glides around the songs to make it that's good yeah i could hear that uh, this one I'm kind of contradicted about. The verses are more of that alternative Counting Crows crap I've been complaining about. It's okay. It's just knock, knocking my socks off. But I dig the chorus, too. That riff is pretty cool, and that part does grab me. And then it has a classically inspired acoustic guitar solo that makes me think, why? I really dig the lyrics, though, which are about the narrator's girl finding God and becoming religious, and he can't handle it, as she doesn't even want sex anymore, and he's got to end the relationship. It's taking a toll on him. The vocals are okay. Shannon's voice is fine. But again, it's just okay for me. So overall, I kind of dig this tune, even if I don't like everything about it. So let's go to the next track, Change. Hey, look at him. I'll never live that way. That's okay. It's just a fresh change. Jonathan, lay it on me, man. This would be the w- song that I would consider. <laughs> sorry, Aaron. Uh, I was going to do for this song, like a, uh, how you know how you do the Aaron Stiggy Singer. I was going to do Jonathan Slow Jam and Jingle. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> We're putting that in there. <laughs> but I was going to do it like Jonathan Slow Jam and Jingle. <laughs> All right. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this song is one of, honestly, this is the song when I personally play a song for anybody. This is my go-to song. I connect to it so much as far as lyrically. I think it, and this is a song that Shannon Hoon had wrote by himself before even joining, you know, Blind Melon or having Blind Melon even in thought. In fact, when he played this song, he would, uh, play it on the porch of his house over and over again and his mom uh was inside and she remembers hearing that particular song from him and thinking oh man he does not realize how talented he is so this is the oldest song on the record then oh yeah yeah as far as like this was one that uh shannon did completely by himself okay i mean they can't you know they came in and put the rest of the music but as far as rhythm everything it all was him and um this is actually a song he introduced to the other bandmates because the other bandmates were you know from other areas and um they had also were in la they just happened to be at a party and he shared that song with them and immediately they were like let's start a band and (laughs) the lyrics in this song is just truly something uh, amazing to me like i connect with it so deeply Personally, like, I mean, if, if any time I want to get my mind straight, I kind of like listen to this song. It is a sadder song, but it also makes me realize kind of bigger picture things and not focus on the small things so much. All right. Yeah, this starts off as an acoustic, folky tune with slide guitar and harmonica to emphasize the point. 
Then it moves into a folk rock number that the groove kind of lopes along, and Christopher Thorne throws some mandolin in there to drive it home, baby. This is real good soul asylum poo right there. Eat it up. In truth, this kind of reminds me of early Rod Stewart or The Faces, just not as good. Lyrically, it's pretty straightforward. Life can kick you in the balls or elsewhere if you're not a dude. But you got to stand up, face it, keep dreaming, and make the changes in your life you need to keep going. There are a gazillion songs about this very topic, and they all have the same message. And in the end, unfortunately, it seems like Shannon didn't heed his own advice. Yikes. This was the fourth single from the album, and fourth single? Really? And here comes No Rain. Jonathan, this is the big boy, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is the big one. <laughs> to me, the song on the album, if, if you look at the whole album, the way all the songs go, this song stands out not in as far as like it being the highlight of the album. More me, to me, it more stands out, but kind of it's not the same theme or sound with the rest of the songs. It's an oddball, it's, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of quirky, and I think uh, that's why they never really considered it as a, a single, you know? And it was just kind of like, it, it really didn't, you know, it doesn't correspond with the rest of the album songs and the way they are. And like I mentioned earlier, you know, if it wasn't for the touring and realizing that everybody just really connected with his song, they would have never released it as a third and could have been final single uh but once they released this like you said heavy rotation and it, it just shot up and shot them up in the stardom really yeah this is the one everybody knows it was the only blind melon song i knew before i started preparing for this podcast i didn't care for it then and 15 plus listens later i don't much care for it now i did like the video though it's iconic and I have to admit, I have a soft spot for the B-girl, poor thing, bullied and laughed at because she's different. But it all ends so happy when she finds acceptance in her tribe of like-minded bee people who jump in the fields, make honey, piss on flowers, whatever else bees do. Musically, this song is breezy and kind of floats along with the psychedelic overtones. Christopher Thorne plays the acoustic guitar on the left channel. Roger Stevens plays the echoey electric guitar on the right channel. It is perfect for all you Told the Wet Sprocket fans who need more of the good shit. Shannon's voice is phased and spacey, and I didn't care for it when I first heard it, but I guess I got used to it. I heard it enough. The lyrics to me seem to be about someone who's depressed and is looking for acceptance from someone who will be there for him. Come on, he wants to keep his cheeks dry. This was the third single that hit number 20 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart, number four on the Billboard Mainstream Top 40 chart, and number one on the Billboard Modern Rock and Mainstream Rock Tracks chart. If someone could explain to me what all these fucking charts mean, I just might give a shit. Or not. Honestly, this really is my least favorite song on the record. It's so different, and I don't care for it, and regular listeners know that I call that song Aaron's Stinky Stinker. And you know something funny about the music video? I know you mentioned about the the B. All the you know the cover album 
I, a lot of people think that the B on the cover album is the B of the music video, but the B on the cover album is actually, I can't remember which bandmate, but one of the bandmates, uh, an old picture of his like sister or cousin, and the actual girl that is in the video, so she's a different girl. Because, you know, at that time, the girl on the album was way older and right. couldn't play Oh. Well, yeah, she, you'd have a B woman, and that wouldn't work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, it's funny. You should check it out sometime. They have a YouTube video of her being interviewed about that because she's still kind of the video girl or the record cover girl. The the video girl because you know she's kind of iconic as far as you know as videos go. I actually like that video. I hate the song, but I like the video. Isn't that funny? Yeah, yeah. All their videos have this like side story that's not really. Like the storyline of what why it's in there and how it relates to the song is is not you know super clear. It's kind of like you know you've got to connect the dots a little bit to try to figure it out. In this particular video, I don't know what why Shannon decided to, but uh, in this video he decided to take acid during the video. He thought it would make it. <laughs> better for him you know like because he had oh i'm sure it made it better for him <laughs> well it, well better for as far as like because i think you know <laughs> on the video i'm sure he was feeling good when he made that video <laughs> <laughs> you but you know how the video they do that kind of like hippie sway kind of yeah thing you know i think yeah and i think that turned me off too I, you know i've never been a grateful dead uh what you know those super psychedelic drugged out bands i just ah it, i got that vibe from it and i was just like ah oh, fuck that i don't want that you know so yeah i never really gave blind melon a chance honestly next up is deserted Jonathan, how about this one? This is one of the songs that I do enjoy and I like, but I I, I don't connect with it as much as the other songs on the album. I I do like the chorus uh, a lot, and he does do that thing with the with his words and like kind of like tacking on to the guitar riff in this song. And overall, it's a good song. It's just one that's not one of my favorites on the album. Sure. Yeah, this one isn't bad for me. It rocks a little tougher, you know, like Hootie and the Blowfish. We got that guitar interplay I'm a sucker for. I haven't talked about the rhythm section much, but I should. Brad Smith's bass playing is good, solid. He's not playing just root notes. His bass lines are interesting, and you can hear them clearly. And most of the time, Glenn Graham's drums are creative and add to the sonic density of these tunes without overpowering it. He's got that lighter touch like you were talking about. The lyrics seem to be yet another down-and-out, rock-bottom, I-want-to-get-better-I-need-help kind of thing. This song could easily fit on Alice in Chains' Dirt. <laughs> no? Yeah. <laughs> Why not? I don't know. I'm kidding. Truthfully, though, I do dig this one, and I definitely favor the tracks where the band rocks a little harder. Now we move on to Sleepy House. Candle flickers out 
Jonathan, what do you think about Sleepy House? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this song, um, as far as the the structural, it's one of the most straightforward structural songs. I think it's it's it, the slow pace pretty much is consistent throughout between verse and chorus. The meaning or behind the scenes kind of meaning to the song you know i mentioned during that time when the record label was like pretty much hey go we're gonna get you a place where you want to go you're gonna have a couple months to you know write songs get an album ready and uh like gave sent them to durham give them six to eight months to you know get everything to go together as far as like songs get some solid songs and this particular song is about the house they were staying in in Durham. So that's kind of the background meaning. And um, I do uh, enjoy the song. I, I think it fits well where it is in the track listing. That kind of, you know, kind of breaks up a little bit of uh, the dynamic that they continuously are doing throughout the album, you know, minus the No Rain song. But I think it's a solid song. Yeah, there's an instrument on this song that I I didn't learn how to pronounce it, so I'm going to butcher this thing. And I'm, I apologize to anybody who is a big fan of this instrument. It's called a sarangi, sarangi, an Indian stringed instrument that produces a very distinctive sound. And it's played by Ustad Sabri Khan. He's a noted player of this instrument, sarangi, sarangi, sarangi. I don't know what it's called. I'm sorry. It just adds to the trippy feel of this tune, as the groove is mellow and very stonerish. The guitar tone Roger Stevens gets is really far out, man. And Smashing Pumpkins got nothing on this psychedelic sound, baby. The lyrics to me seem to be about how life is hard on our boy Shannon again. He wants to feel better, like he did when he was a child, so he needs to get high to recapture that good headspace. It's okay, but that just kind of sums up this record for me. You covered what the Sleepy House actually was, so I think we're finished with this one. Oh yeah. Onward we go to the next song, Holy Man. Jonathan, how do you feel about this one? I really like this song. This song is a standout for me, and um, it's something that lyrically I, I really connect with because it, it has you know some of his issues with religion and trying to make it you know fit how he wants it to fit you know in his life, and it, he just can't make it work. And he's you know trying to tell this guy, I've, I've tried, I've tried, you know, and I can't really, I can't make it work. I don't know how to make it work. I really like the the chorus uh, riff on this song too, and the um, the way he he sings it. I guess more so, maybe not the riff because the riff the riff's pretty uh, just chord basic. But I mean, if you think about it, if you took out the the lyrics and the singing of it, the chorus would be pretty bland. But he just makes that chorus with the singing uh, just a whole new kind of like tone to it, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, this is yet another mid-tempo, half-rocking thing that would make Incubus proud with funky percussion. Are they congas? I think they're congas. And some delectable mandolin keeping it real with a dab of slide guitar. It starts off with a slow, clean guitar and Shannon proclaiming, I was born on the banks of a hot, muddy river. I was born to roam beneath the sun. You know deep shit. We do get one of the better guitar solos on the album. This track has a lot going on, and it's not bad. Lyrically, Shannon's going after religion again and the hypocrisy of so-called holy men who preach one thing, but their actions reveal something different. This one kind of feels like the band went, hmm, what would sound good here? Hey, let's throw in a tambourine. Yeah, that sounds nice. There's a lot. It's pretty dense sonically, and it's okay. The following track is Seed to a Tree. Jonathan, how about this one? This song uh, is not one of my favorites on the album, but it's a pretty solid song as far. I wouldn't go, this wouldn't be the first track I would go to, but I really like the uh, opening riff to the chorus or the interlude to the chorus with this song. And the verse lyrics, I really, uh, the way the verse is, I, I don't know if it completely works with the chorus per se, but. Overall, I think it's a good song, and um, but it's it's not one of the ones I consider a highlight. Right. Well, this one brings back the rock guitar for a heavier, grooving number. More of the stuff I tend to like better. You know, like Candlebox. It stays in the mid-tempo range, but it rocks all the way through with another good guitar solo. Shannon's vocals are beginning to bug me a little at this point, though. I can't decide if I really dig his voice or not. My ass is planted on the fence, and as Jim Morrison once said, my balls hurt. The lyrics as I interpret them are about his past and the people he's encountered throughout his life that have done him harm, but also shaped him as he grew up, and he doesn't seem to be happy with the results. This dude's got some issues to work through, to be sure. I like this one pretty much. At least it stays on the harder side. I think we're like on opposite sides of the fence, too, Jonathan. I seem to like the tracks that rock a little harder, and you don't tend to, <laughs> don't tend to go that way. I don't know. Yeah, and that's strange, you know, because uh, I mean, uh, I, I'm usually a rocking guy. I, I think what I was saying earlier is about how they use that interlude with those other songs. Like it really, the slow part, it makes it go. I don't know where it makes the slow part kind of stand out. But you're right, we're kind of on the yeah. You gravitate to that a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, we're on the opposite ends of things. But uh, you know, I, I mean, overall, it's still. Yeah, I think we're kind of agreeing as far as like these are for the most part. We are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The penultimate track is Drive. Jonathan, let's take a drive. 
I don't know where to because this song is yeah. one long verse. And uh, I mean, I, I do like it. I mean, it's, it's very unique. It's one that I've ended up, you know, when I first heard this album, I, I really tended to skip this song. But over time, I've, I've really started to like it. It has a kind of sway to it. Overall, you know, it kind of like when he, it's one verse, you know, pretty much verse one, verse two, verse three. But like, I mean, it's very slow and kind of, you know, reminds me kind of a wave visually. But this song, uh, as far as like the song meaning and everything, uh, it's about an uh, actual incident where Shannon and Thorne, they were watching someone who was trying to kick heroin for the first time. And this is kind of like about seeing that, uh, or some of the you know song is about that, seeing that. And All right, so it's based in a real thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're back to that slower alt-rock stuff that makes the non-existent Veruca Salt fan in me hard as a rock, baby. This tune doesn't come with extra instrumentation, but it still feels kind of sluggish and drugged out to me, which fits since, like you said, the lyrics seem to be about the narrator watching a friend of his, William, sinking into heroin addiction, even worrying that he might not make it out alive. The song is spacey and dragged out. I don't know. I don't love it and I don't hate it. It's okay, especially with a slide guitar added in as the track ends. Maybe I'll nod off to it. Anybody got any H around here? And that brings us to the final track, Time. Jonathan, what time is it for you? It is epic long song time. <laughs> I really dig this song. I like the placement of the song as the last track, uh, the length and the way it kind of goes in and the tension builds and then it goes and it kind of goes out and uh, in a sort, you know, it just kind of, it's like a, almost like a, a arc and, you know, like a, a almost through a storyline in this song, the pace and the, the, I really like this song, and it, it kind of reminds me of similar things to like you know last tracks on the Doors end, you know, pretty much like albums where the last track they had a free for all, you know, like twenty minute songs just sitting there. But you know, this is more of a condensed one, even though you know I really like how the flow of it, you know, it gets it starts off slow, it builds, it gets heavy, hits a peak, and then it kind of just starts slowing back down, and fades. Yeah. yeah, this track for me sums up most of the themes that run throughout this record. Shan didn't have a great childhood. He wants to be left alone. He doesn't have faith in God. He's in pain, and doing drugs makes him feel better. Kind of sums up almost all the tracks on this album. Musically, it kind of sums up Blind Melon, too. There's that slow guitar intro with vocals. Parts of the song rocks as hard as this band possibly can, hard enough to make Everclear proud. And then it slows down for the trippy ending, where you can even hear some flute passages floating around the mix, like a high-as-fuck Jethro Tull. This song kind of sums up how I feel about the band, too, and this album, but I'll touch all that on my final thoughts. 
Now that the track by track is over, we'll go into our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a 0 to 5 system, with 5 being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a 0, which is the equivalent of shit on a stick. So Jonathan, give us your final thoughts on Blind Melon's debut album. This is one of my go-to albums if if I want to just sit there and listen to the whole album. And I would have to say it's probably in my top 50 albums of all time. Uh, probably on the lower end of the 50, but I would say this is like a 4.25 stars for me. I, I really dig this album, and um, it kind of introduced me to Blind Melon. And yeah, it's 4.25, I would say. All right. Prior to doing the research on them, I only knew Blind Melon through No Rain, a song that really didn't do much for me. So I avoided this album and dismissed this band as just another bland 90s alt-rock dud. As I've stated before on this podcast, the 90s were the musical dark ages for me, as the rock I loved turned into this half-assed alternative cookie-cutter crap, and the metal got more and more splintered and extreme, and I just wasn't ready to handle that. Blind Melon had a very short shelf life, because no matter how you slice it, the primary focus of this band was Shannon Hoon. An Indiana kid whose sister was a high school friend of Axl Rose, he moved to Los Angeles in 1985 when he was 18, met the guys who would become his bandmates in Blind Melon, struck up a friendship with Axl, which got him a good deal of exposure before this record was even released. I remember being curious about it myself due to the Guns N' Roses and Axl connection, but then I heard No Rain and said, fuck these guys. But Shannon was a drug addict, and over the years, the problem became worse and worse, leading to rehab stints and finally his death on October 21st, 1995, from an overdose of cocaine. He was 28. But getting back to this album, it shows that Blind Melon did stand out from the 90s alternative avalanche of bands, and that they seemed to be better musicians, whose influences tended toward classic rock guitar groups, in other words, shit that I like. And they underline this by insisting on using vintage gear and not using modern effects. There's a lot for me to like on here, from the throwback-sounding guitar interplay to the often interesting lyrical ideas that are presented. But I also find it a mixed bag. I'm not completely sold on Shannon's voice. It's high-pitched, and when it gets into the upper register, it gets kind of scratchy. And depending on the song, sometimes I dig it, sometimes I do not. Also, the songs don't rock hard enough for me for the most part, though occasionally they show they're capable of it. And even though they're not exactly one of the alt-rock cookie-cutter bands, aesthetically they appear to be. And the music often comes across to me like those types of groups. And I don't hate all of those bands. They could write a decent song here and there. But I always found them just okay. And that's what I'm getting overall from this record. I give Blind Melon a two and a half. I feel like they had a decent foundation to start off with, and maybe it's just too bad they didn't get a chance to see it come to full fruition. I don't know. But I'm going with a two and a half. And from Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, Richard Shannon Hoon, known professionally as Shannon Hoon, rest in peace. Now I'd like to thank Jonathan Howard for co-piloting this podcast this episode and for being a good sport listening to my bullshit. I hope you had a good time, man. Oh, yeah. Macho Man Randy Savage style. <laughs> I, I love the show, man. And uh, it, it's I'm very happy to be on the show. And yeah, so thank you for having me. Oh, thanks you. Thank you for coming on. OK, is there anything you want to plug? Any way the listeners can reach you? Social media stuff? Is there anything you want to say about yourself? Yeah, um, I am working on a, a podcast. So uh, 
be on the lookout for it. It's going to be called Entertainment Junkie, and I'm trying to push out the first episode uh, October 13th. If you need to get up with me, you can uh, get up with me um, at uh, wickedrules at tutonado.com. I'll probably you know put it out there where I can. Awesome. All right. Welcome to the podcast world, man. Can I come on? <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. All right. Awesome. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast at places like iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, Google Play, and Spotify. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it. If you take the time to do that, I'll read your review right here on the show. If you'd like to contact me directly, I can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast. You can also review the show on Facebook if you'd prefer to do it that way. And yes, I'll read your Facebook review on the podcast. You want to come on the podcast and talk about an album with me? Shoot me an email and we'll set it up. I'm always looking for co-pilots to host a show with me like Jonathan just did. And I would also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. I'd love to hear from you. And lastly, here at R4, we thank you so much for giving this podcast a listen, and a massive thank you if you like and support the show. Take care, and I'll catch you later. Get your shit together, Jonathan. Look, come on. <laughs> oh, yeah, I got shit going on all the time, man. You hear vehicles driving by, friggin' garbage trucks, my dumbass dogs are always, tr- are always trying to get in the fucking podcast. There goes something down the street. Yeah, that's not loud. Jeez, what the frick, man? Oh, that shit annoys me so much. I think, I'm, I think my dumb dogs want to leave this room. Get, just give me one, one second, Jonathan. Get your, you can get your notes together for dear old dad, right? Right, right, right. Alright, so we got one more to go. How are you? How are you with uh, this one? You got your, got your shit together for this one? Uh, or do I gotta wait a half hour? No, no, no. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I have so many boxes open on my damn computer. <laughs> ridiculous. Oh no! Uh, the fucking lawnmower. <laughs> Shut up! Don't even do it. <laughs> oh man. All right. So, are you ready for this one? Uh, yeah.